Honey, Be My Teacher podcast is brought to you by Smokin' Jays and SmokinJays.com. Use coupon code HONEY at checkout to support this podcast and content like it. Welcome to the Honey, Be My Teacher Do-It-Yourself series of podcasts, bringing you all the buzz about the basics of bees. My three-part series will give you the knowledge to get started in beekeeping. Starting today with part one, why bees? I will provide you with all the information and resources to send you on your own journey with our great pollinators. Part one will leave you confident and motivated to be the bee's best friend. Okay, let's get buzzing. All right, why beekeeping? The big question. Beekeeping is, to me, an amazing experience. I mean, I find it to be enlightening, humbling, it's educational, and it's definitely rewarding. You can't go wrong with all that good honey out there and all of the byproducts you get from that hive that you get to keep, and you get a little bit of pride in what you've done when you take care of those bees. Beekeeping supports community pollination. It supports food supply fosters bee populations outside of the commercial beekeeping industry. So it's not tied into commercial only. Beekeeping is there for us and it's for us to enjoy and for us to benefit by. So there's some basic reasons that I think the why is good that will help you decide your why is one of them is just pollination. We already know that without bees, we don't make it. No bees, no food. We hear that a lot. It's absolutely true. If we don't have bees to pollinate our food, in addition to the honey they provide, we're not going to have much food. Yes, there are other pollinators out there. However, if you slowly limit the population of these bees, our habits and behaviors that we're doing now would eliminate the populations of the next generation of bees as well. So we want to become good stewards and fall in love with our stewardship too. So just some of the reasons, in addition to pollination, is honeybee decline. We always hear online and in social media about honeybees declining. It is true. There's a lot of bug spray out there, and there's a lot of pesticides that are causing problems. So this is our opportunity to take an activist view and really reach out to our local community and our bees and try to work together and we can make it happen to where that we can get rid of that decline. So we'll feel great about saving ourselves and saving our world at the same time. There's also honey. Bees produce honey from the sugary secretions of plants that we call nectar. And honey is used as a natural sweetener. And honey is pretty basic. We already know we like honey. Honey tastes different depending on where it comes from. And honey is just a wonderful, wonderful substance for many reasons besides something you ingest, okay? So how many of you have heard about honey being used in hair and care products, facial creams, 
you know, it's used in all kinds of products for our skin and healthcare, and it's also found in medicine because we do have byproducts of honey and we have byproducts of that beehive. And that is what contributes to our honey giving us more than just the benefit of something really yummy to eat. But you don't want to leave out fun. And honey is fun. And why? Do you know what that is? It's mead. Mead is fun. And mead is composed of honey, water, and yeast. It's simply a fermented drink. It grow, it's growing in popularity at a really, really rapid rate. Um, it's an ancient drink. It's been around forever, all the way back to the Druids, even back to Egypt. And it is making a comeback. And you will find there are meaderies all over the place now producing mead from honey. But that too will taste different based on where that honey comes from. So those are the fun elements of honey. Mead only leads to more fun, right? So we have that too. But probably two of the most important points that I think that we have with beekeeping is the sense of community. I think that um, with the education, the entomology, and learning about our ecosystems, it's all there to help us to do better and to understand our modern food system and the importance of its role in our sustain sustainability in our world. We really need to understand how important we are to each other and how together in a community environment we can work together agreeably and civilly and in a unified manner regardless of any other perspective in life, do what we can to save each other, which will save us too. And that's where community comes in. Communities make us stronger. And the honeybee is really good at promoting community because that's how they function as well. And of course, there's always our health and well-being. Coming from um, beeswax and propolis, which we've talked about before, is that red sticky stuff that is used to glue the hive together and make it waterproof. These are known as hive byproducts, and they are used in all kinds of things that you find in the stores today. Um, and people make them from home. You see them on Etsy and a lot of other websites where you can buy candles, soaps, salves. Um, you can even get lotions, shampoos. You can make your own with honey. Um, natural deodorants, tonic, tincture, wound care, and even wood polish. I didn't know that. I had to look that one up. So there's a new one for me, too. And beeswax wraps, which is a unique thing that just hit where it is a piece of cloth that is soaked in beeswax. And what you do with it is instead of using plastic and, po and just, you know, populating our landfills with hordes and hordes of plastic, you're able to wrap your food items and your leftovers with a wrap made out of beeswax. So it's reusable over and over and over again, which is a really neat product. And that's just something really cool I like about the health and the well-being. And, you know, that's just why beekeeping. It's a lot of reasons why, and it's a lot to digest, but it's there so that we can understand why we want to do it. And when you develop your why, you don't have to take all of these reasons. You just have to find one that makes you happy and you find your fit. And that allows you to know why beekeeping fits you or if beekeeping does fit you. And if it's not a fit, there's always the garden. There's always planting. There are other options, too. But that doesn't take away from community and us making a change and helping our bees. So that's where we go with why beekeeping. We also want to talk about beekeeping in the perspective of the types of bees that we are facing with beekeeping. There are different kinds. There's a three main bees that we hear about mostly. And a recent surge has been in the mason bee. And I want to show the difference and tell you the difference between the two because they're distinctly different. They both serve us well, 
but we want to understand why, because it is an option for a city or an urban beekeeper that may not have the access to the bee colonies that the uh, rural beekeeper like myself might have access to. So um, number one, not all honeybees are, you know, all honeybees are pollinators, but not all pollinators are honeybees. Uh, the honeybee is just an exceptional pollinator because it also provides food for human consumption. That's really the differentiation between the honeybee. Our focus is mainly, and the podcast is always going to be on the honeybee, but we've got to remember that we need all of our pollinators to survive. So we don't want to neglect and act like pollinators don't exist out there because they do. Let's just focus on the honeybee in this podcast. We can always go back to other bees, but this is the direction we want to take this to give us some opportunity to sustain our environment and to also provide honey for our neighbors and our friends and make health and well-being affordable so that we're not paying $18 a jar in the local store for honey. So the honeybee has a scientific name that you'll see advertised called Apis mellifera. And it just means it's a Western honeybee. It's Latin. Apis is Latin for bee. So anytime you hear apis, you know it's a bee. And mellifera is honey bearing. So these are both Latin terms, and it together became apis mellifera. It's the most commonly recognized bee when we think of pollination. But we need to know we do have other species as well. So another bee we're hearing about right now is the mason bee. But it's also got a nickname. It's known as the blue orchard bee. And they don't live in big hives like we're used to. We think of bees and we think of these giant hives or natural nests that just congregate and hang from trees and houses. But the mason bee is unique. It's a very tiny little creature. And they are, um, they're in little tubular cavities, size of a straw. And they do not produce honey, but they're some of the best pollinators out there in light of the honeybee's decline these are actually quite a great addition to pollinating your trees and your gardens. A number that will surprise you is that seven mason bees pollinate at the same level as 500 honeybees. Now that doesn't mean the honeybee is not pollinating properly, but that honeybee is taking that home to the hive and they're making honey. So that's more like a manufacturing environment where honey's being produced. And then the mason bee has all that time and access to the plant or the tree to get out there and pollinate it at a higher and faster rate. So you can see how we utilize the little group well and we can make them work together, maybe in concert with each other. And that way we can pollinate our gardens and our environment, but we still have a nice um, healthy supply of honey too. Now we know about bumblebees. Bumblebees are unique as well. They're um, similar to the honeybee when it comes to the structure of their colony. They have a single queen and the colonies are marginally smaller than the honeybee colony is. Um, the honeybee colony of a can be 80,000 to 100,000 bees, when a bumblebee might be 50 bees. So the bumblebee has a unique way of living. She likes to live in leaf litter, the queen especially. And what she does is she will feed on nectar but not produce honey. So she'll, you'll see her with the bees. They don't fight. They all work together. They don't not get along just because they look different and they pop from flower to flower and tree to tree and they pollinate those together and they collect their nectar and their pollen as well. But these queens will invade other bumblebee nests and what they'll do is they'll go in and they'll kill the resident queen. They're like pirates and they will kill that queen and they will lay their eggs in her nest and that's how she keeps her species alive, which basically is a survival of the fittest. So the strongest bee will always do the best at the bumblebee level. So that is another species, though, that we're also starting to see in decline like the honeybee. And I don't know that anybody is aware why, but 
They live in leaf litter. And what do we do with our lawns? We rake up the leaves or we use our lawnmowers and suck them all up. And what we're doing is we're picking up those bumblebees too. So we let our leaf litter lay and just compost into the yard. And we take care of it when spring comes back and everything is starting to bloom out and has just the dandelions are barely going to seed. Grass doesn't get that tall when it's that cold. So you have room to let those bumblebees do their thing and nest and develop too. But that's where she likes to live. Um, And that habitat loss, because of what we're doing with building and lawn care, is actually causing a, it's part of the mechanization of agriculture too in pesticides. It's not just us, but we are contributing to their demise as well. So that's one thing that I think is something we can address when it comes to the bumblebee as well. I'm always going to prioritize the honeybee because that is my love, but this is just three of the main types of bees. There are other types of bees, and I'm just going to give you a really quick list because these are interesting titled bees, but I'm going to let you Google them and look them up because I think when you Google up types of bees in that text and format, it's going to blow you away at how many bees are out there and the number of species we have that we have to really take care of. So just a couple are like your carpenter bee, a leaf cutter bee. There's even a sweat bee. Now, I'm not sure what a sweat bee does. I was a little nervous about that one. I will be looking that one up too, but it goes on and on and on. So I do suggest that Google search for types of bees, guys. I think you'll be astounded by the diversity in the bee families. So what we're going to do is we're going to come up next with our after this little short break, and we're going to learn about hives. I think that's a good one for us to talk about because we know how much we want the bees to be around and the types of bees that are out there. But now we're going to focus on the honeybee and the honeybee's hive. So we'll get to that in just a second. Honey Be My Teacher is brought to you by Smokin' Jays and SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. Just for you, there is a coupon code to save 15% off at SmokinJays.com. It's Honey. So enter Honey at checkout at SmokinJays.com and receive 15% off your order. And all orders over $100 ship for free at SmokinJays.com. All right, back to the show. All right, let's talk about the beehive. It doesn't have to be boring, so if you want to have a pencil ready, you can, but this isn't really that hard to follow. So follow along, okay? So I... Number one, you got to understand that there are lots of types of beehives out there. There's three major hives, and beehives of any choice are perfectly fine. It is, again, just like it's a matter of preference. Everybody is fit to one type of hive. People like them for different reasons. So let's just understand that when it comes to keeping your bees, it's got to be in the hive that you're comfortable with working in. Um, and there's reasons for that. There's, you know, uh, some can be too bulky, it could be a space issue. It could be the weight. That's my reason. Um, any other reason that is your reason, I don't care if it's because they look funny. It's up to you. It's your hive. So you want to make it work for you, okay? So basically the objective today is just getting an understanding of the hive as far as the bees are concerned. Um, we're going to continue from there. And we'll kind of go over just three of the most common hives that you hear about and you see mostly on the internet today. Um, and a beehive's nothing more than just... It's a man-made structure that holds these frames where honeybees live and raise their young. That's all a beehive is. It's actually a man-made term. A bee's nest is the actual term for the bee colony itself. They live in nests. 
and those nests we're artificially putting into a box, making it a hive. So that's why we call them the hive boxes. And um, that's just their name. It's Bees are in nests all over the place. They're hanging in warm weather from trees. You find them in walls in barns. They're in hollow trees, logs. They're in any kind of thing, like a barrel. You'll find them in pump houses. Bees can be just about anywhere because they're just going to look for shelter. They're looking for a place where they can maintain temperature and protect that queen. So that is the bee's nest. So we're going to talk about putting that nest into our hive and creating a bee hive. So um, basically the nest is the way the bees and the hive work together with man to be housed safely. So we've got a system that we've put in place where we work with the structure of the hive, where we can take it apart, take lids off, and we can go in and we can inspect the bees. And there are three types of hives that you would be looking at, which is a Langstroth hive and a Waray hive and a Top Bar hive. And I have posted pictures about these on the website at honeybeemyteacher.com where you can go to reference and see what they look like in scale and in form. That way you can kind of get a good picture as to what you would be expecting your hive to look like if you were to go get one or just order one online. Um, you can do that. I've ordered one before. I prefer to go to a local source, but you do have those options. So nobody's limited when it comes to beehives. You can get them anywhere. Um, you know, we have to understand that bees are basically, you've got a bottom board and then you've got a box and you hang your frames, which is nothing more than a rectangular frame that will have what they call foundation in it, either made out of beeswax or it will be a plastic honeycomb embossed shape for the bees to do what they call draw comb. And that's when they come in and they actually secrete wax from their abdominal cavities. And that wax is then collected by the other worker bee and they paste that and they build that like building a mud hut. And they just create these beautiful hexagonal shapes um, to maximize storage and honey space. And then they'll build that out and that is called drawing and they draw out the comb, and once they draw out that comb, they cap it. And so what you have is you have these frames in a hive together, hanging or dangling, depending on the hive. Now this is the Langstroth hive in particular that I'm referring to, and that is because that one controls where you're gonna have your bees start out. They're gonna land on those foundational frames, and they're gonna draw their comb with something to work from. If you were to use a Warre hive or a top bar hive, they're strictly just wooden bars that are just hanging there and they draw the foundation themselves so that you'll see this comb drawing out. It might fall into like a circular pattern like you'd see in the natural and the wild, as opposed to in a hive like mine where I'm controlling it and they're literally using up an entire rectangular space. It does give me more honey. I can maximize my honey content and it also allows me to inspect my queens easier without worrying about the heat breaking the comb apart. So that's what I like to use a frame for. And the Langstroth hive to me has a lot of support and that's why I use that. And one thing about the beehive is you've got, when you have that bottom board, it has a little entrance and we call it a porch because bees have a porch. They go out there, they, they go out on the porch and they dance together. They sing and talk to each other out there. They treat it just like we do our porches at home. It is their place to collect and gather, transfer information, and move product in and out of the hive. Then you put what's called a deep box on top of that. And now this is a Langstroth hive. There's a deep box on top of that, and that deep box is where you hang your frames for your brood, which again we've talked about is the, the location where larvae is growing and developing from the egg 
to the honeybee before it emerges. Then you have the super or a shallow, which is a smaller, it's not as deep, and it has a smaller set of frames in it as well. They draw out comb in there too, but that's where usually the honey's produced. So that's the one you can take off and take in and collect honey. There will be honey on the deep frames as well, but that's not ours to touch. That belongs to the honeybees, and that's their food, and it's their food for their um, winter sources as well. And a lot of times, if you're not careful and a person gets greedy and you rape that brood and that honey, you'll end up with all that larvae in your honey. It could be pretty nasty. So we want to stay away from that. So we want to respect what we're doing when we're working with these hives. They also have those bars and those frames hanging in there with what we call bee space. And that was discovered years ago when um, one of the monks who designed the hives noticed that bees had to have space in order to not have their combs touched. They do it naturally. And so those are predetermined by the shapes at the edge of each bar. They hang in there so now you can hang your bars in there without a lot of extra work. Let the bees do the work. You're just going to manage and maintain. So that's what you have with those types of hives going forward. Now, the one thing about the Langstroth hive I like is it also is available. It, you can get it in frames where there's 10 frames in that hive or eight. A 10 frame hive is heavy. And I'm talking, you're having to lift up. This is something that somebody that's comfortable with lifting large amounts of weight can do. But I prefer the eight frame hive. It is a manageable weight for me. I'm a strong person, but I find that when I'm having to lift a hive that's stacking five high, those supers are coming off. I want to make sure that I can manage that weight and that honey. I don't want to drop that and lose my honey or damage my bees. So that's one of the big parts about that. The top bar hive is a really easy hive in the respect that you just take the roof off. It's a big, long, oblong looking shaped hive on a stand and you lift this lid up and you've got all of these bars in there and you can pull it out and the bees are just milling around in there. My only issue for me is it's um, it takes up a lot of space in my yard and I don't find it to be a practical use, but people who are into natural beekeeping do find this to be the preference because if they're doing it just for pollination and just for developing the bees and not a lot of honey use, that's a really good alternative. So this again, when you find your why, you can go back to what hive you want and what your purpose is. So that's your top bar hive. The Warre hive looks almost identical to the Langstroth hive. But the weird part about the worry hive, to me, nothing is weird to anybody. This is my weirdness. And why I my fit is the Langstroth is that worry hive has the same box structure, but you have to move the brood up to the top and put the empty boxes when you're adding to the hive below. To me, that's a lot of movement, moving that queen around. I don't feel comfortable doing that. Some bee beekeepers really love that hive. It's a beautiful hive. But it's really a matter of your preference, too. So those, those are the three main hives we talk about. And those are usable because you can be an amateur or a professional and use these. In commercial beekeeping, you're going to see, and the heavy hobbyists, they tend to use the Langstroth hive because you can put them on pallets, four on each pallet, backing towards each other, and then facing out toward that they're facing out towards the sun and they're gathering and they're producing. And that way you can maximize your honey production too. There are a lot of people that like to take their honey to the farmer's market. So the Langstroth is a great solution for that. There is another hive on the market that's been mentioned called the Flow Hive. This is a brand new hive. It's only been out a few years and it was developed in Europe. It's a hive that is beautiful. 
in its aesthetic, and it has windows where you can actually see the comb in there. It looks like a true house, and it has two cranks, and you turn these cranks, and it breaks that honeycomb apart, allows that honey to drain out through spigots, and then when you turn the crank back, you are putting basically essentially the hive back together. You're putting those honeycombs back together so that you're not disturbing or killing any brood or hurting any bees. So the argument with the the um, flow hive is how do you manage it and maintain it against parasites and pesticides and things like that. So that's a new one for me. That's something that I'm going to be looking into further. I'm going to try to get a hold of a flow hive so we can talk about it. I like to try it. I think everybody should try at least any hive once and see what works best for them because you never know. You might fall in love with a certain way of keeping the bees and that that'll be the one you choose for your the rest of your life and that's fine too. So I mean they're simply structured. They're really easy to work with and they don't take a lot of effort. They are um, pretty self-governed little individuals. Again, the, the bees are a super organism because they're a colony together. It's not the individual bee. So when that honeybee is out there doing their job, we want to leave them alone, let them get in there and work in concert with the rest of the hive. And they're going to produce and build and make propolis and all of those things that we are going to go in and harvest within reason. And it's going to give us a chance to see what we like and what we need. But again, we need to be able to put it back and understand it. So I really think we need to understand the beehive itself. It doesn't have to be hard. And it's something that you really need to, if you want to, even go to a local beekeepers association and connect with a beekeeper and go out and check out their hives. Find out why they use the hive they use and ask them why they started beekeeping and how it happened. A lot of them started out with just a hive and ended up with a ton of hives for whatever reason. And so the stories are great. You get some great reasons and some great information. These are your mentors. This is where you want to go and get your resources. So you can find those and connect with your local beekeeper and have anybody in that association attend a meeting and get a good lecture in. And they will have hives out for you to even inspect and examine. And there's always the local providers like um, the beeline companies that provide home-built and well-built beehives. That's like a local source in our state. And I would say to go there, too, and just to see all the options there. They carry several options for you, and they're more than willing to talk to you about it, too. Nobody's going to um, try to bait and switch you and deprive you and get you to go to any direction of a hive. You're going to have to pick the hive that works for you. They're going to ask you the questions that you need to be asked, and you need to come in with questions, too, because this is a big, it seems like a big uptake, but in the beginning, it seems like it, yes. But in the end, it's not. It just turns into these wonderful little cities of bees sitting in your property and you're enjoying them. Um, you know, it's just something I think you guys should look into. I love the beehive, and I think that if we learn how to manage that box and make it sustainable, we can become really well-practiced beekeepers and educating yourself on the hive there, um, understanding the design and its placement and why. Uh, it's a low-cost alternative to you, too. And I'm going to give you just a couple price points that I looked up. There was, um, you know, you can get beehives unassembled where you have to assemble them yourself. Yay for you if that's your gig. Not mine. Tried it once. Won't do it again. My uh, gluing skills lack. So <laughs> we're going to just buy assembled in my house. Um, and then you need to understand the variables and how you can add to your hive. So the ranges, the price ranges are going to fluctuate based on that. But 
So a Langstroth hive, which is the hive I use, in an unassembled format, it's going to be around $95 and up, but it can go as high as $299. They're available from Amazon all the way to local woodworking companies. There's a lot of local um, people around that will build a hive for you too with the Langstroth plans because they are available online for free if you want to build your own. So you can download those plans for free from the internet. Um, and then there's the Wari hive, which we had talked about, gets a little pricier. That starts at about $140, but it can go as high as $400. It's a little more of a finished looking little building and that can be on the price point that could be a little higher if you're just trying it out and you're a new beekeeper. So I always suggest we start with a basic, which is a good Langstroth hive. You can always develop from there and expand. The top bar hive is a super affordable method for people too. It starts at about $45, um, but it can go as high as $350. It can get very exotic and elegant. It can be very, very basic. So that's going to be up to you too. And then the flow hive, the prices I've seen online have gone as high as $695. That's a very expensive um, project. So it's not my priority because the honeybees are my priority. Uh, but I am hoping to get to a flow hive too. And I want to give you guys some um, basic, basic knowledge from that. So we know how well it works. Just a little bit of fun history about beehives. A lot of times we think that it's just a recent thing since the 1800s, but bees go back to Egypt. They found honey that is still, it never expires in they call them gummers. It's just any container that will hold bees. It can be an old log, it can be an old crate somewhere, or it can be in a ceramic bowl. But beekeeping has gone on for many millennia, and you will find different things. You'll hear terminology in the South where people talk about gummers, or they'd go to the gums and collect their bees. My father calls them gummers, and that's what he would see when he would collect beehives and honey and help out with those. But, you know, it's basically, there's a diverse variety of different ways to keep bees. You could probably get created and make up your own beehive. So now this is something that if you fall in love with it, you can kind of do your own thing as well. It's up to you. This is your project. And the beehive here is basic. I'm giving you three basic models, but it's still up to you too. So what I recommend is that you check out honeybeemyteacher.com. Get a good look at the hives that are out there right now. You can resource them locally or on Amazon or all over Google. There's all kinds of places you can go. And then you can purchase from there and try your hand at beekeeping. But other than that, the best I can say is just go in it with both hands. Get ready to get sticky and have a lot of fun and learn how to fall in love with quiet time with your bees. It's something that I find rewarding and I think you'll love the hive and you'll end up really having fun taking care of it too. So I'm going to take a quick break here and sum up everything we went over today on this podcast. And then we're going to go ahead and just kind of finish up with a little bit of information about hobby versus commercial beekeeping. We hope you've enjoyed the first episode of the DIY series from honeybemyteacher.com. Patty's put a lot of hard work into this podcast. Would you like to email her and start a discussion? After all, it's all about community. You can email Patty at bemyhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. That's B-E-E, myhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. All right, back to the show. All right. Now we're going to have a little quick overview. It's just a short discussion about hobby beekeeping versus commercial beekeeping. And it really boils down to scale. 
Um, you know, hobby beekeepers, we're in a great position to make a real impact for the honeybee. Unlike anybody else, we are now in a place where we can effectively just kind of create a matrix of bee populations that overlap each other and it will give the honeybee a fighting chance to survive, gives it a chance to regenerate and grow their populations while commercial beekeepers focus on pollinating large-scale crops for profit. And that's really the difference. One is doing it for profit in scale and the other is doing it because they want a couple jars of honey being sold at the farmer's market, or you got some friends that need some honey, you want to make a few candles, you've got all the different reasons out there. So the hobbyist is just that, we're hobby beekeepers. We do it for reasons we love, and that are reasons of our own, and then you have the commercial beekeeper. There's nothing wrong with either one, you can be either or, or you can be a little bit of both. But that's just a big element to understand that at the commercial level, you're working with a lot more honeybees. So start small, be a hobbyist first, find out what you love about it. And if you love that part of beekeeping, and if not, contribute by planting plants and all the right flowers that help sustain those populations and keep those bees going. So we've gone over everything in this series, the beginning of this series, this is a, we went with why beekeeping. That's yours to figure out. Um, I've Talk to you a little bit about types of bees. There's more out there to find. Um, and then just as a throw one in there, look up the Australian honeybee. It's a blue-banded honeybee, a beautiful bee. Check that one out and just see what you learn from there. And then we've introduced you to the beehives, three basic models, the Langstroth, the Ware, and the Top Bar Hive. And then we finish up here with, we're just talking today about a little bit of hobbyist behavior versus the commercial beekeeper. I'm just really grateful that this is an opportunity for me to do because I love the honeybees and I just think that that's something that if we could all just kind of work hand in hand together, if you don't want to do the bees, plant the trees, plant the flowers for me, I'll be happy to pollinate them. That's my place in the world that makes me happy and it makes my heart good and I want you to have your heart feeling good as well and growing in love and light, dealing with an opportunity to make an impact together. And we can do that coming together as a team. You know, teamwork really does make the dream work. So um, you already heard about my website. And in the show notes, of course, you're going to find a recap of all of our information where you can find us on social media. And I also want you guys to know that I'm available on Facebook. I'm, in, I'm on Instagram now too. It's under Honeybee, my teacher, of course. I'm on Twitter, Facebook group, and then I have a Facebook page that's Bee My Honey, Honeybees. These are all opportunities to talk to me. Reach out if you have any questions. Let's get a discussion going. Give us some ideas on what I can do here on the podcast for you. This is not for just the commercial beekeeper. I want this to be for you. This is for you who's never had a beehive before, who might want to just start a new journey Let's do it together and let's just learn together. It's a great journey to take. And I want this to be, I don't want it to sound remedial, but I want it to be as easy as possible because this is not a hard journey to embark on. It's intimidating if it's made to look intimidating. So I want you to see how easy it really is to get started. Don't make it expensive, but make it fun and delightful and learn how to be mindful and be kind. But most of all, Share love and be loved. I'll see you guys later. I am so grateful to have shared my love of the honeybee with you. I have so much more to share as we all grow in knowledge to save the honeybee, which will ultimately save us. 
This podcast is brought to you by Smoke and Jays and SmokeandJays.com. Use coupon code HONEY for 15% off your next order and all orders over $100 ship for free. I'd like to thank my producer, Jay Fratt, for bringing my love for honeybees to the podcast format. He has his own podcast called The Conservative Hippie, which is available on all podcast platforms. Just go to theconservativehippie.com. Visit me at honeybeemyteacher.com to connect with me and enjoy all the buzz about our amazing little friends. Let's be social. All of my social media links are available in the show notes. Please email me anytime at bemyhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. So until we meet again, be mindful, be thankful, and most of all, be kind. <laughs>